welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rocha, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest edition of our Arbitral Insights podcast series. I'm delighted to welcome today an absolutely fabulous guest, Shweta Biduri. Hello, Shweta. Hi, Gautam. Great to see you again. I saw you last at Gar Mumbai in February of this year, so it's great to see you. I'm going to introduce you first, Shweta, to those who don't know you, and I dare say many, many of our listeners already know you or know of you. So Shweta is the director and head of South Asia at the Singapore International Arbitration Centre, SIAC. And as our listeners will know, SIAC is one of the most prominent arbitration institutions globally. Shweta is in charge of the South Asia operations. And as we will all know, South Asia is a very prominent hub and centre for international arbitration. And of course, India is going to be a significant hub for international arbitration. And in the course of this discussion, I dare say Shweta and I will also touch on that subject. Shweta uh, qualified as an advocate in India in 2007. And prior to joining SIAC, she worked at a major law firm in New Delhi, covering litigation and arbitration in a number of sectors. Shweta is also, and we'll touch on this in the course of our podcast, is also a trailblazer for women in the international arbitration world. And that's something that I particularly love about Shweta, amongst other things. So on that footing, let's dive in, Shweta. So my uh, first question to you is what first brought you to the law? What inspired your interest in the law? Thank you, Gautam. Firstly, let me thank you for having me on board. It's an absolute delight to be in conversation with you, whether it's for a podcast or generally sitting across a dinner table. And uh, so, you know, absolutely a pleasure to to join you for this one. Thank you. Now to your question of what brought me to law. I think it's a very tricky question because I don't really have a clear answer to this. I think when I finished my law, my high school and I was considering what options to take forward, I think the only thing that I had in mind was that I wanted something more definitive in terms of my career path. And I didn't want to do just a bachelor's and then go around figuring out you know, where to specialize in and, and law. I think at that time, we still hear a lot of interesting stories of you know, strong oral advocacy and how that is so popular in India. So I think that's the reason why I just filled out the forms and I took up law. So not so much of clarity or purpose at that time. And I don't think I knew, you know, where life will bring me to where to where it is today. But it's been an incredible journey so far. Fabulous. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that brings us very nicely to your career in private practice before you joined SEAC. And um, before we sort of touch upon what you did in the course of your time in private practice. Just tell us a little bit about who has inspired you in your career so far, who's mentored you in your career so far. I think for me, I have, I mean, so I didn't have any person who mentored in a designated way, but there are a number of people from whom I have learned a great deal, just watching them, what they're doing, 
you know well and uh, including you know my former partner of the firm miss anuradha dat she's an incredible lady very fierce you know strong ethics the way she worked so i watched her i mean to me she was the most real experience of you know where life can really take you with pure hard work so i learned a lot from her and and you know even though it's been a while since i left working with her but i still continue to follow a lot of things that i saw her do and and of course i worked closely with mr harish salve at that time he's of course you know needs no mention of how amazing and how thorough he is with what he does um so i have i've learned a great deal from from these people around well i mean those are two incredible people that you've mentioned and both wonderful names and influences i will tell you one thing just quickly since you mentioned harish salve i remember many years ago i was doing a, a very significant arbitration Uh, as co-counsel with a very prominent Indian law firm, we met with Harish at his um, residence in Delhi for a, a conference, and it was on a weekend. And because the case was very urgent, we were meeting with him, and we had an English QC. And of course, at that time, although now, of course, Harish is now a QC at a King's Counsel, I should say, in England, as well as a senior advocate in India. at that time he was a senior advocate in india anyway we met with him at his uh, residence at his chambers and i and i remember we were all sitting in the room there was a number of us around in the room lawyers clients there and then he walked in about 10 minutes later after we were all sitting down and he was wearing a t-shirt and shorts and i just thought that was brilliant <laughs> i mean that is you know high profile case high profile senior counsel he comes in in t-shirt and shorts. I just thought that was brilliant and I just ever since that time I've always had huge admiration for Harish not just as a lawyer but as a person. So I just wanted to share that little anecdote with you. So <laughs> I I I just couldn't resist since you mentioned that I could not resist. So then let's wind things a bit forward in terms of everything. I mean you obviously had a a great time in private practice doing some great work. as i mentioned in the introduction you were involved in litigation and arbitration including treaty arbitration yeah so tell us like like some of your reflections as to because you know when you were first practicing and arbitration was still a developing area in india yeah. so tell us a little bit about how you've seen arbitration evolve as a practice area particularly in india yeah I mean uh if I can start a little bit from my own journey and then my observations of what it has been around so you know when I started the practice I think one of the first major cases was really a tax case and I honestly had very little or no idea about tax but I learned it up on the go and I spent hours and hours prepping myself to be able to be ready for the case and and i think that case in itself was such a huge learning opportunity and then that case led into the investment treaty arbitration case involving india and then from that to many more but you know to me life just pretty much happened from one to the next unlike so many people who plan and i think a lot of young lawyers that i meet today uh who say we want to be international arbitration practitioners i didn't know in fact to be honest how vast and how you know amazing incredible this field is yeah. and i just went on to doing my best with what 
came on my desk at that time. And and then it it opened up doors and on opportunities and the kind of exposure that it it, it really brought brought along. So I think investment treaty arbitration especially was really niche, particularly in India. Neither did we have many firms who were doing this kind of practice, nor uh, a lot of lawyers who were doing this work. So it was it was new, but we still had to figure a way out and there was no other way other than just working, I think, four times harder than other people were at the time. But if you speak generally of commercial international arbitration, I think the opportunities are now so many more and uh, so many lawyers were excellent in doing international arbitration in India. So there's no dearth of people practicing international arbitration. We didn't have so many firms which were specializing only in international arbitration work. So that's the work they did as a part of the entire practice and took on the matters that came along. But, you know, it's only, I think, in the last few years that they developed, like, carved out practice of international arbitration where you have lawyers only doing that work and not other work. So I think that sort of development in India has been, I think, quite incredible, you know, because you're now developing more specialized international arbitration practitioners versus disputes lawyers who are doing litigation, were doing investigation work, were doing everything else, and also doing international arbitration work. So I think that landscape has overall changed in terms of the lawyer's perspective. Overall, of course, we've seen the changes that have come in India post the amendment, the focus generally to really change the way arbitration is done in India. I think I think that's a great space, you know, overall opening up so many more opportunities and paths for the younger lawyers now. You know, primarily if you had people who wanted to specialize in international arbitration work, they looked at firms outside of India. But now I, I don't think they really have to do that. You've got some of the big firms doing great work in India. So yeah, I think we've we've come really afar in, in last 10 years, if I can say, the landscape has changed dramatically from when I was you know, doing some of these matters to when I now interact with so many of these disputes practitioners and the kind of work they're doing. No, I think that's, no, thank you. That's really, yeah, that's very, very interesting. And, you know, that really mirrors my sense as to what's happened. I mean, there's no doubt, and I've said this before, there are not just first-class lawyers in India doing international arbitration. There are world-class lawyers doing international arbitration in India. And the quality is very, very high. And the exposure to cases, the experience. I think also, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. In many ways, the high level of expertise and experience amongst the Indian legal community in international arbitration has really come about from India's place on the global platform. Because as India has become more outward facing, more acquisitive disputes have arisen, also with investment coming into India, and with India now being the fifth biggest economy in the world, inevitably arbitrations are the dispute mechanism of choice. And I'd be interested if you also sense that's been a big part of the success story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can't have anywhere in the world and not take notice of what's happening in India. And I take a cue from what happened in the latest Paris Arbitration Week. We never had India-focused events 
and I think there were about four or five, if I'm not mistaken. So India is is really, I mean, in, in true sense, has arrived at par with some of the prominent jurisdictions in the world. We're just waiting to unroll it, you know, in the manner that we expect it uh, on, on the world stage. But it has arrived. And in, you know, we've got the world-class judiciary. We've got excellent arbitration practitioners. We're really developing in, in the sense, you know, the culture of the arbitration bar as well. I think that's the area maybe we need to work a little bit more on. And and I think as we fine-tune it, a lot of those things would change. You know, I, I think corporates, it's almost a default in their clauses to have arbitration. You know, we are now seeing a lot of push for institutional arbitration. And as and when you see more companies adopt institutional arbitration, it's going to become more... I think, you know, efficient in the way these things are run. The expertise is going to come more. And and right now, of course, with the latest uh, rollout by the Bar Council, I think that that's an incredible move to really, I think, shut down the wall that we had uh, to open ourselves to the world and say, we are ready for you and you're ready for us in, in, in that way. So uh, I think all, all, all right things happening in, in India at the moment. Yeah, and there's a lot happening. And as you say, the Bar Council of India um, announcement recently is a big one because part of that is about making India a real hub for international arbitration. And I've got no doubt that it will be. You know, many years ago, many people would have said that's never going to happen because of all the issues which you and I know and our listeners will be aware of about the reputation that India had, uh, especially for the uh, for the enforcement of awards, etc. But you know things have moved on a lot, and uh, and and you know in terms of moving forward and the success story, every institution needs a really strong brand ambassador, and I genuinely cannot think of a better one for SIAC in India than you. And I've always thought that because I've known you for a while, Shweta, and I've always admired you and what you do and how you go about doing what you do, and I genuinely can't think of a better brand ambassador for SIAC, which. Our listeners will know SIAC is now one of the most prominent arbitration institutions in the world. It's probably the second most prolific in terms of cases. I've got no doubt it'll become number one before too long. And India is obviously a huge part of that. And you're very much aligned with the, the direction of SIAC in South Asia. But I'm focusing on India right now, but obviously South Asia. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your vision for how SIAC can develop further in South Asia, including India, and sort of what more needs to happen to really maximize India's potential? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, I'll just correct you with saying, truly, the brand ambassadors are the users for SIAC. That's very humble of you. And yes, and I stand corrected, but I still stand by the fact that you're a brilliant brand ambassador. You know, but I'm trying to put forward what SIAC is doing. It's an incredible institution. And, and I don't say it only because I'm part of SIAC, but truly the way the institution works is, is so amazing. So much to learn and uh, so much that I'm personally standing awe of. And, and the amazing team that we have, we of course now have Gloria leading, you know, the team. And, and she's such an humble such a wonderful human being and a, and a leader in a very different way, 
you know, uh, that she holds people together and truly inspired them to feel SIAC as really a part of them. And you want to do more for SIAC. So I would, you know, I think I'm, I'm very small in the larger <laughs> picture. We're all trying to do our part. But for India, I think, uh, you know, in terms of SIAC's vision for South Asia and India in particular, it really goes back to looking at the kind of potential India has. And, you know, we, you know, while India has been amongst the top foreign users for SIAC, but it's still, I think, minuscule in terms of the users that can truly use and benefit you know, from using an institution in the way their disputes are handled. Uh, so I think the first task at hand is to really educate people on ground to understand, you know, how important it is to use institutional arbitration. And, and I say that, that I think all the institutions, we are collective in that effort and SIAC wouldn't be able to do that alone. So all the institutions working on ground, I think that's an important task ahead of us. And, and we have to be together in, in doing, doing that. And second is to be able to make them truly utilize, you know, the institutions once they adopt them to the optimum efficiency. There are so many mechanisms that the institutions innovated and brought about, you know, for time and saving cost, et cetera, that, that the users don't fully understand how to use them and how that can be a game changer in the way the disputes are resolved. Um, so, you know, SIC is a service provider, which is meant to be able to give that service, you know, to the users here. And, and that's the prime objective. So we have to educate people to understand how that service will bring value in the way their disputes are being resolved. So, and so, but, but India is a huge country. I think we, of course, talk about the success of India and, you know, the growth story that it's building. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize it's not fair to compare India with maybe uh, Paris, Singapore, London. We are a very different country. We are also very diverse. We've got so many states. And so we are many islands in, in so many ways, you know, sort of put together and, and each one with its own nuances to be worked on. But that's also mean it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to work in different ways. Bombay, Delhi, you know, Bangalore, each one has its own, you know, unique sort of dimensions to, to it so you know so it's 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 a hard task but i think we're all really determined to do our best to contribute to the growth story that india is is building to help users in india to really put that problem that they've had with arbitrations behind like we don't need to discuss it it's something that can truly be dealt with we need to know how and we need to get it into our system so I think that's the first task ahead of me. Well, you know, I, I love that. That's, that's a nice way to round out this discussion because what you've just said is so important. Look forward, not back. And that's yeah. a really important thing. And uh, no, I've got no doubt. I, I, I look forward to seeing SIAC flourish more and more in South Asia. I've been closely involved in India and South Asia for over 30 years now that I've been practicing. And uh, to, to see the development since the early 90s to now has been just wonderful to see. So I wish you all the very best, you and your colleagues all the very best, as you do more to move things forward. Now, talking about moving things forward, I wanted to 
talk to you about another topic that I know is very important to you and me, which is diversity and the importance of diversity. Um, I've said very unashamedly in my opening comments that you are a very uh, important part of that. You are a trailblazing female lawyer and there aren't enough of you with such prominence in India and in South Asia. You know, one of the things that's great to see is that there are more and more female practitioners coming through in India in the world of arbitration. There aren't enough female arbitrators and that is regrettable. That needs to change because that's just not good enough for a country of India's stature. There should be a lot more female arbitrators who are of Indian origin and who are in India. Hopefully that'll change soon. One of the other things that you and I are closely aligned on is that we're both members of the advisory board of the of Indian Women in International Arbitration, which is a great organization just founded by Neetia Ahuja of Steptoe and Johnson in New York. Now, if you think about all of these issues and the importance of diversity, equity and inclusion yeah. in what we do, give us your thoughts about what more we can all be doing to make sure that in particular women are better recognized and better represented yeah. in the world of international arbitration and particularly as arbitrators. Yeah. I think uh, the first step really got them now is we have to, you know, while of course everyone's talking about it, I think we've, we've come a step forward now that it is well established that diversity is good for arbitration and we need it more than anything now. The question is, what do we do in terms of action? Of course, institutions, I think, overall are really actively working. And I can speak for SIAC, at least in terms of the appointments that we make. So Lucy Reed sits as the president uh, and who's responsible for the appointments at SIAC. So when we put together a list of arbitrators, and it's quite often that you look at the list and she said, we need to have a female arbitrator as part of the list. And when she's appointing people, she's looking at how often, when is the last time that we appointed a female arbitrator? So there is a conscious effort, a very mindful one, that we appoint more female arbitrators. In fact, we recently released statistics of the appointments made last year, and we were very close to making it cut to 50%, uh, which I think is amazing i mean when i looked at it i said okay so things are done perfectly in singapore but this is <laughs> too amazing you know getting it so close it's worked out beautifully 50 yeah. 50 brilliant <laughs> we're close to uh 50 so you know but it it, it just didn't happen by chance uh, it took a lot of effort and and you know being conscious about it that we need to do it I think on our part and, and with the new organization that Neathi set up, it's also important for us to recognize that talent and give the visibility that it deserves on the international front. Uh, so you and I and amongst others who are part of it, you know, we, of course, on a very you know, routine basis, interact with some amazing uh, you know, Indian women arbitration practitioners who people don't even know about. You know, and it's not about just a speaking opportunity at a conference, but so much more, you know, uh, and there are so many different ways to give them visibility and also help them understand how can they uh, sort of come out and say, you know, they want to do this. You know, they want to be appointed as an arbitrator and not be comfortable doing the work they're doing or be comfortable being unseen. I think that's that's 
what we have to sort of break away from the existing norm. And it will require some effort on your and my part as well, you know, to be able to actively do out, make people understand it, uh, recognize the talent and, you know, and, and at, at no, I think no ground we are compromising on the merit. You know, if anything, sometimes the merit surpasses, you know, the existing talent. It is so good. So, yeah, I think from the institution standpoint, we're doing more also to make parties understand. And I think that's where it is lacking in terms of the appointment of arbitrators and particularly women arbitrators. Parties don't appoint enough women arbitrators, I think, while institutions are doing it. So I think that nomination, there has to be more effort by the companies and, and the council who are nominating arbitrators to, to appoint a female arbitrator. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I think it, it requires a number of things. As you say, there's obviously the, the institutions have a huge role to play. Yeah. The lawyers themselves have to be willing to, to want to be more vocal about doing it. I'm, I liked what you said about not being content with being unheard. I, I, I think they need to be visible and vocal. And you'll remember a couple of months ago at Gar in Mumbai when I saw you last, when you very kindly spoke on one of our panels, that we had a huge number yeah. and uh, of um, women practitioners. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, There are many, many more of them who will inevitably gain more and more prominence, but they all need a platform. They need to be recognized. They need champions. They need advocates. We need to break the mold. And with all respect to the number of amazing judges who now sit as arbitrators, we have to move away from just having judges as the default option. Yeah. You know, I think we need to have a lot more female practitioners. There are so many, as you will know, so many partners. Yeah and counsel in India, to just take India as an example, who are excellent at what they do and who would be a breath of fresh air as arbitrators should they get the opportunities. And a number of them were our co-panelists at GAR in Mumbai. And you'll know who I'm yes. talking about. So I look forward to that. And, uh, and again, I really look forward to working with you on the IWIA advisory board to further these objectives because I know it's something that you and I have had a shared, a shared passion on for a long time and the fact that we've got you as the head of SEAC in South Asia is really important. I think it, it speaks volumes that we have a prominent lady like you there so well done for everything you've been doing. No thank you I think we've got a lot more to be done yeah. But it's 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 going in the right direction and just now as we're rounding out the um podcast because time as always is never our best friend on these podcasts and, and as you know Shweta you know you've known me long enough to know that I can talk for hours if I wanted to uh, so I'm going to stop myself and I'm going to move to the uh, last part of our discussion which is something that's become very popular in our podcasts that we've done which is we do a fun round like a completely non-arbitration non-law non-litigation round and I ask our podcast guests about some of their favorite things. So let me first of all ask you, what's your favorite music or band or singer? Tell us that. I think uh, at different stages of my life, 
my choices in music have moved along. I think from at some point, listening very passionately to Alanis Morissette and Cranberries, to Bob Marley, to now only listening to Coco Melon because I have a daughter who's 22 months old and all day long. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> all of that on repeat. So, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the choices have been sort of evolving sometimes consciously and sometimes just with the phase of life that one is in. So currently, it's really yeah, Coco Melon repeat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. I mean, that's... That's an eclectic mix, I can tell you. That's an eclectic mix. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to hearing the remix of Coco Melon and Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Uh, I, I look forward to that one. So then tell us, you know, I know you're a very busy lady and you're a working mother too, which is another reason why I, uh, you know, you're such an inspiration as the head of uh, SIAC in South Asia. But uh, tell us a little bit about if you do get time to watch a movie and let's say you were able to watch a film uh, like, from times past is there a film that's your all-time favorite film wow actually this one i wouldn't be able to answer at all it's been a long time since i've watched a movie maybe the last that i watched it was on my flight from singapore (laughs) to bombay and that was blast from the past and it was i I can barely say it's a movie that i want <laughs> but uh, really, yeah, I, I, I don't think I have really a favorite movie. I sometimes movies are just light, and I enjoy. So. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I exactly what you mean. So sometimes when you're on a plane and you have a bit of me time, it's nice to just zone out <laughs> and just often because it's not often. And like, but but though these days many airplanes have Wi-Fi, so it's not always yeah. easy to zone out, right? But uh, no, no, I like that. Okay, now the the, the last thing. If you have a, do you have a favorite holiday destination that you and your family enjoy going to? Oh, actually, I mean, not not since uh, I've had my daughter that we've traveled for purely travel purposes. But I love Japan and particularly a place called Arashiyama in Kyoto. I think it's so incredibly beautiful, both in autumn and, and springtime. That's a place that I want to next take my daughter to when she's able to enjoy and understand where she is besides zoos and uh, water parks. Um, and plus Coco Yeah, plus Coco well, right? so. <laughs> <laughs> grow out of that. Yeah, so uh, I, lo- I, I mean, I really love Japan. I think the people are just so amazing in that country and such a beautiful country. Yeah, so I'm very fond of Japan. I love Japan too. And I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Shweta, thank you very much. I always enjoy talking to you anyway. And because as I say, I've known you for a long time, but I, but this is the first time we've done a podcast together. And I'm very grateful that you took time out to do this with me. I congratulate you for everything you do and you're doing. I really admire what you stand for and what you do and the example you set, not just to women, but to others. And I wish you all the very best. So thank you again for being on this podcast. Thank you, Gautam. Thank you for having me. It's been absolutely a pleasure to be in this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I don't think I even realized when 30 minutes went past. <laughs> <laughs> well, that well, that's a good yeah. sign. So thank you. Speak Thanks. soon. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. 
to learn about the ReadSmith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on ReadSmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, ReadSmith.com, and our social media accounts at ReadSmithLLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.